0: i want to do something a little bit different today. I want you to turn to the person next to you, the person or somebody on your row, and I want you to tell them something that you're afraid of. This is how we're gonna start, okay, just play along. Uh, I'm gonna come back in just a moment. I'm gonna tell you something I'm afraid of, and this is gonna make me feel better if you've done this too, and we're just gonna have a group therapy session today. Uh, but just turn to the person next to you, and it doesn't have to be your deepest, darkest fear. It could be you know, taxes, it could be your mother-in-law, it could be whatever, just pick something. If she's sitting next to you, don't say that one, just a just tip, um, but just, uh, just turn to the person next to you and then I'm gonna come back and talk about a fear of mine today. So discuss amongst yourselves. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's wind it down. Anybody, your fear is telling a stranger your fear? Anybody, that was yours? That was kind of weird. I wanted to do that because I wanna talk about something I'm afraid of today, and I know we're not supposed to live lives that are just based in fear, but I think sometimes fears are good because they cause us to put boundaries in place. Uh, they cause us to know where certain limits or our limitations are. They, they can be something that are healthy and they begin to guide us. And so I wanna talk about something I'm afraid of today and maybe you'll walk out of here and this will be a fear of yours too. But uh, I, uh, one of the things in life that I'm afraid of is that uh, a faith that I'm really passionate about at this stage of my life Uh, A faith that, just like many of you, I've seen God work in my life in 15 years or so of, of being a follower of Jesus. I've seen many moments where I would step back and I would say it was an only God moment that God did something, God showed up, I don't have words for it. And a faith that, uh, as many of you have described to me before, a faith that is is like a fire inside of you, you have to talk about it, it's contagious. You share Christ with your friends because there's something in you that changed and is different. And one of my fears is that a faith that at this moment I'm passionate about, that there would come a moment, there would come a time in my life where I would have just drifted away and I would look back on this moment, I'd look back on this season, and I would just, it would, my faith would have gone out like a winter fire. And I would look back and I would talk about this moment in my life as something that, I, I don't know what happened, but I just, when I look in the mirror, it's not the same person, it's not the same faith, I just don't, something inside of me has grown numb, something inside of me has grown cold. I, I think it's a good fear to have. I think it's a good fear because I, and I know we're you know, sealed by the Spirit of God and you know, we're not supposed to live lives of fear, but I think it's good because you probably, just like me, have met people at various stages of your life that have been passionate about God, but something happened. It might be a family member, it might be a coworker, it might be somebody that you know, led you to the Lord, it might be somebody that uh, maybe used to sit on your row at church with you and they didn't find another church. And something happened where they just began to drift and drift and drift away, until a moment came where it was almost like it wasn't the same person. Something on the end, their faith just went out like a winter fire, and they just drifted away. I've met people like this before, too. I remember several years ago, there was a, a guy that um, played a critical role in leading me to faith in Jesus. And he, he was a mentor, he was a hero, and I would hang on every word he said. He was one of those guys that when he'd pray, you know, you would wanna take notes, because it was so profound. And he was just this passionate guy, I ran into him a couple years ago, and it was just not the same. And he just finally admitted, he said, I, I don't have the same kind of relationship with God. I don't even have any relationship with God. Something happened, and there wasn't a moment, it was just a slow and steady drift. It's, it's a good fear, because it can happen. You've seen it happen, and I've seen it happen before as well. The Bible actually talks about this. The writer of Hebrews the New Testament says it this way, that we have to pay attention so that we do not drift away, that we have to pay attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from our faith in God. And what the writer says is that we have to pay attention. Let's say that together Uh, on the count of three. One, two, three, pay attention. I didn't lead you very well. I'm not good at that. I'm gonna get better, okay? (laughs) It's a New Year's resolution. Pay attention on the count of three. One, two, three. Pay attention that in order to not drift away from your relationship with God. And the idea here is in the same way, uh, you've done this before, right? Where you go into the ocean and 30 minutes go by or an hour goes by or two hours go by and you get out of the ocean and you weren't paying any attention and you get out of the shoreline and your beach towel is way down there. And the hotel that you got out in front, you know, got in the ocean in front of, it's way down the ocean because you weren't paying any attention and and you just drifted and you just drifted and you just drifted and you thought, how in the world did I get here? Because you weren't paying attention. And the Bible says that it is possible for us as disciples of Jesus to drift and drift and drift away. And I bet as I say that, names come to mind, people come to mind, family members perhaps. Come to mind. And in my experience, the reason people drift away, the reason people fall away from their relationship with God, it's not because there's some theological reason. Very seldom, I'm sure it happens, but very seldom is it that they sat down and they read a big stack of books and they realized they considered the evidence and they no longer believe that Jesus really walked out of a tomb or they no longer believe, you know, Mary was a virgin when Jesus was in the world. And very seldom is the reason that people walk away from their faith because of a theological reason. Very seldom is it a moral failure. That happens sometimes. You probably have names and stories for that too where something happens in somebody's life morally. There's just a failure, something you know personal in their life just falls apart and it's easier just to chunk their faith and you know, become somebody else than it is to rebuild it in those moments. That happens, but it's not the main reason. And in my years of being a pastor, in my years of working with high school students and years of working with college students, one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that people drift away from their faith in God is really simple. It's just that they get tired of being good. It's just that they get tired. They get weary. They are honoring God with their body, with their finances, with their life and their marriage and all these different areas. And a moment comes where they no longer see any results and they just get weary and they just give up. It's just easier in that moment just to no longer pay attention and just to fall away. Maybe you're here this morning and as a a businessman or a businesswoman, you have decided in your business you're gonna honor God you're gonna do the right thing. You're gonna be honest when you know the the job rec- calls on you to be honest. You're gonna do the best you can with to manage money. But it, it seems like at work, other people get promoted faster than you who lie and cut corners that you refuse to cut. They conduct themselves without character. They'll go on trips. They'll do things on those trips that they shouldn't do. And it seems like they get rewarded for it. And you've paid a penalty financially. You've you've been passed over for promotion. And you wonder, God, when are you gonna honor my decision to be faithful? And you're just getting tired of doing good. You're just getting weary and you find yourself in that place. Maybe you're here as a high school student or middle school student. And you've decided with your body, with what you put into your body, you're gonna honor God and it's cost you some Friday nights by yourself. You've lost boyfriends, you've lost girlfriends because of it, you've had friends that don't wanna hang out with you anymore because of it. And you see people, you go, they seem happier on Friday night than me, they seem to be, but I've made this decision that I'm gonna honor God, and I'm not gonna do certain things that other people at school are doing, even if I'm the only one. And And there's these moments where you go, I don't know if I can hold on any longer. And you're just getting weary of doing good. Maybe as a single adult in your 30s or 40s and you could have gotten married years ago, but you didn't, you've been holding out. And you've been honoring God with who you date, you've been honoring God. And this time of year especially, you hate it because you get all those Christmas cards and they have all your friends' kids on them. You just wanna throw them in the trash or in the fire because you're just, you're just this reminder. And you're just waiting that moment, God, I've been faithful, I've been honoring you. And any moment, God, you wanna present, you know, Billy Graham and Brad Pitt rolled into one person, you know, would be nice and it just hasn't happened. And you're weary and there's a part of you that goes, I'm just gonna marry the first person that comes along and I don't care what he looks like, I don't care who they are, I don't care what she looks like, I just, I'm just tired of being alone, I'm just weary. Maybe you're here as a married couple and you in the last year, 10 years, however long, you've hit this season where it's just really difficult to honor God in your marriage. And you've had friends that have bailed on their marriage for way less reasons than yours and your struggle, and your time, and you're going, God, we've made this decision that we're gonna honor our commitment, our vow before you as God, and to our, our vow to each other, but we just need a break in the clouds, and this season of Christmas was just this reminder that it's still not going well, and you're going, God, I don't know how much longer I can hold on, and I just need a moment where I feel like you are honoring my decision to honor you with my body, with my time, and my marriage, and my finances, whatever it is, and those are the moments where we're weary Those are the moments when we're tired. Those are the moments when people stop paying attention and they begin to drift and drift and drift away where one day they wake up and it's just not the same anymore. Well, the good news is the Bible in many different instances talks to groups of people and to individuals that are weary and are tired of doing good. The Bible in many different instances, and we're gonna look at a story in particular today, where God sends a prophet to speak to a group of people that are just like you and me that find themselves in this situation where they're going, God. We don't know if we can keep holding on. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. And there's one promise that we're gonna get to in particular today that I wanna land on that is just a beautiful promise that God gives in the middle of this story. 2,700 years ago, Isaiah chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, we put it on the screens, but just go, it's about halfway through the Bible, right there in the middle of the Old Testament. Go to the middle and then just a few pages over Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be. And here's the story it's about 2700 years ago and a few thousand years before that Israel who's the nation that God speaks to and God speaks through is just this massive piece of land. It's just this big chunk of land and in Israel at this time they have no king. And they begin to look around at all the nations that surround them to the north and to the south to Aram to Philistia and they go God They have a king, and they have a king, and they have a king. Will you finally, God, will you just give us a king? And you can read about this all throughout the Old Testament. They go, God, we want a king. And finally, God gives them a king. Then who's the first king of Israel? Anybody know? Saul. Very good. I think I heard one. I heard one Saul. Uh, Saul is the first king of Israel. Um, some of you, it's your worst fear getting called on in church. Um, we're gonna keep going, okay? Who's the second king of Israel? Anybody know who the second king of Israel is? David, okay, very good. David's the second king of Israel. And David's the great king, wrote most of, uh, mo- wrote most of the Psalms, and he made some bad decisions, but for the most part, we regard David as this brilliant, unbelievable king. The third king of Israel is a guy named... Solomon. Yeah, exactly. Solomon, he's the third king of Israel. Well, after Solomon, everything just gets weird. In Israel, this big piece of land, it gets divided into two different kingdoms. It gets divided into the northern kingdom, and it gets divided into the... Okay, this one's easy. Okay, southern kingdom. (laughs) The southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, they call themselves Israel. They keep that name. Anybody know what the southern kingdom calls themselves? Judah, yeah, very good. Judah is the name for the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, in Israel, they have all these really bad kings, just terrible kings. They, in fact, they essentially become a pagan nation. They bow down to foreign gods, their kings make pact with pagan kings, a pagan nation. All kinds of just horrible things happen. In the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, they go through some periods where they have some good kings and then they have some bad kings. They have some good kings and then there's some really bad kings. And the the people of Judah, the people of the southern kingdom, regardless of who their king is, they are faithful to God. They keep the covenants, they keep the law, they go to temple, they pay their tithes, they do what they're supposed to do regardless of who their king is. And the story we're gonna look at today, it's about 735 BC is the year it is, and at this particular time, Assyria is the world's superpower. Assyria is to the north of the southern kingdom, they're to the north of the northern kingdom, and they have all the guns, they have all the weapons, they have all the ammo. Everybody in the world is terrified of Assyria. In fact, their military tactics are so brutal, the things that they would do, we can't even talk about them in church. I mean, the Assyrians, even in history today, are just widely regarded as these brutal, brutal warriors. Well, here's what happens in the story today. The king of the northern kingdom, he's a stupid king, and he makes a decision that he wants to invade and conquer Assyria. And so he goes to another nation who's just a little bit to the northwest of where the northern kingdom is a nation called Aram, and he goes to the king of Aram, and he says, I think with our combined forces and our military tactics, we can conquer the Assyrians. It was a stupid and terrible decision, but that's what they decided to do. Well, the southern kingdom, in the southern kingdom, there's a king, and his name is Ahaz. And Ahaz, at this point, is about 20 years old, and he is a terrible, terrible king. In fact, he's such a bad king that when Ahaz dies, and they never did this with any of the kings, they take his body outside of Judah because they don't even want him buried around them. He's, I mean, that's a sign that you've been a really bad, uh, terrible king. And so he's the king at this time, and he gets a letter from the king of the northern kingdom that says, here's our plan. Aram and I are gonna, the nation of Aram and, and the northern kingdom, Israel, we're gonna join forces and we're gonna conquer the Assyrians. Well, Ahaz is a bad king, but he's not a stupid king. And he knows that there is no way, even with the combined forces of Aram and even with the combined forces of of Israel, they cannot conquer the Assyrians. And this is to sign his own death warrant. He also knows that if he doesn't sign it, the northern kingdom and Aram will be so offended, and this is eventually what ends up happening, they might advance their troops south and just destroy Judah. Well, Normally, the king could go into the synagogue, could go to the temple, and could make some pleas on behalf of the nation before God and say, God, will you do something? And Many times, all throughout the Old Testament, this is what the king would do. He would go into the temple, and he would pray with the prophets, God, can you do something? We're about to go to war, and God would intervene and show up. Well, because Ahaz is such a wicked king, he can't do that. And he gets word one day when he's trying to decide what to do that the northern kingdom and Aram, they've just decided to advance southward and destroy Judah. Well, the people, they don't know what to do. The people of Judah have been faithful. They've been honoring God. They've been paying their tithes. They have done what they're supposed to do. And now it appears that God is not going to honor their faithfulness to him. Well, in the middle of all this, God sends a prophet, and his name's Isaiah, and Isaiah comes and delivers a word of comfort for the people of Judah. And in the middle of it, there's these promises and questions that God asked the people, and there's promises and there's just these questions that are still applicable. And 2,700 years later, for you and I, when we find ourselves in the position they found themselves in of going, God, where are you? Are you ever gonna do something? Are you gonna show up in the middle of this? And here's the story. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse one. Isaiah comes to the people of Judah. They've been good. They've done what they're supposed to do. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, That she has received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. And there's this tendency that you have, and there's this tendency that I have, whenever it feels like God has turned his back on us, to say, Am I being punished? Did I do something wrong? God, is there a reason? Did I miss some signs? Was I supposed to take a left and I went right? What what did I do wrong? And Isaiah comes and says, Judah, you didn't do anything wrong. That's not how God is, is playing this game. He's not punishing you for something. You, the penalty for your sins has been paid. That's not the issue. And then he goes on and delivers this promise to them. He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley, he says, I just want you to have this picture, Judah. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, the people of Judah are just like you and me, they're looking around at their circumstances. They're looking around at their kids. They're looking around at their business. They're looking around at all the things that are happening. And they're going, God, I do not see any evidence of your activity. And they're just like the same thing that I do. I look around at my life. I look around at circumstances. And if I don't see any sign of God's activity, I begin to assume that God's gone dark. God has just removed himself. And, and Isaiah's coming and he's just saying, hey, hey, I just want to give you this reminder, Judah. Just because you don't see any evidence of the activity of God in your life right now, it doesn't mean that God's not up to something. Just because you're looking around at the circumstances, you're looking at your kids and you're going, wait, I raised them the way I was supposed to and is this the reward I get, God? Is this this the, the payback? Just because you're looking around at the circumstances, you're going, I've honored you with my business and you don't see any sign of God's faithfulness. It doesn't mean that God is, is, has turned his, his ear away from you. It doesn't mean that God isn't up to something. He says, I just want you to have this picture, Judah. Although you're looking at your circumstances, it doesn't mean that God is not active in doing something right now. And he keeps going and he asks this series of questions. He asked some of the most profound and beautiful questions that at any moment in your life when you find yourself weary and just wanting to give up or you find yourself standing at the edge and going, I don't know if I can keep doing this. These scriptures are just so beautiful to read. We'll go to verse 12 in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, Judah, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket? or weighed the mountains on a scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Or who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Who among us has ever given God advice or counseling on anything? Has God ever found himself in a bind where he's going, I have no idea what I'm gonna do. I need to call Jared. (laughs) Only one option left. I gotta figure out where Jared's at. Where's he at? I gotta call him right now. Has God ever needed you? Has God ever come to you and said, hey, 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 can can you help me out? I made some bad financial decisions. No, but we have found ourselves time and time again on our knees, even if you're not a Christian, pleading, God, if you're out there, can you do something? And he's going, who among us, Israel, Judah, have you forgotten who God is? This is the God who's made all things, and he goes on, and he says this in verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And they're so concerned about Assyria. And they're so concerned about the northern kingdom. He says, Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as temporary, or excuse me, as worthless, and less than nothing. He says, come on, Judah. Are you really, Judah, are you, Jared, are you really willing to walk away from, from the God who made all things? Because of a temporary set of circumstances, because this when we find ourselves weary, when we find ourselves wanting to unplug and just stop paying attention, and find ourselves on the beginning, you know, of the place where we're beginning to drift away from God, He's going, Judah, are, are, are you going to walk away from the God who's permanent, the God who spoke all things into existence, because a temporary set of circumstances aren't going your way? Are you going to trade in the God of all that? because of this. And you're frustrated about circumstances, Judah. You're frustrated, Jeremy, I I understand that, but are you gonna turn your back on the God of all that? Because you didn't become a Christian because circumstances were going your way. In fact, for a lot of us, you became a Christian because they weren't. Are you gonna turn your back? It's not because now you've realized that God's not true. It's not because you've come to this point where you go, well, God must not be out there. It's because you're looking at your circumstances and they're temporary. And he's going, are you gonna walk away from the God who made everything? Are you gonna make that trade? The God of all that because of a, a, of a business, because of finances, because of money, because of a job, because of, you know, you're 17 and it doesn't feel like God's shown up in the way that you, are you gonna walk away from the God of all that because of that? Judah, Jared, come on. I know it seems like a big deal and maybe it is, but it's temporary. I just wanna remind you, of who I am as your God. And he keeps going. And he says in this, this in verse 22. I've always loved this verse. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. I always thought if only Christopher Columbus would have just read the Bible, it would have saved him so much trouble. And the joke's a slow burn, okay? You're gonna get it at lunch. And it's hilarious, okay? Maybe not. And its people are like grasshoppers. They're going, God, you're not big enough for Assyria. And he's going, Assyria, are you kidding? They are like a nation of grasshoppers to me as God. I'm the God of history. This is who I, Judah, don't forget. Don't walk away. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and, stre- and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the w- rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted no sooner are they sown no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff To whom will he to whom will you compare me or who is my equal says the Lord Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens Who created all these Judah who created all these Jared Just look at the stars who created all these He brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Come on, Judah. Nations come and go. Economies, they're gonna come and go all the things and infrastructure of power in our world, it's all gonna come and go. But God is the God of history. And are you gonna abandon the God of history, the God who's permanent, the God who's never getting off his throne because you're looking at your circumstances and the things that you know, the grasshoppers have made, and are you gonna look at that and say, I'm walking away from the God of all that because of that? Come on, Jared, come on, Judah. Don't abandon what you know to be true. Don't abandon the God who made everything because you're looking at your circumstances. And the next time you find yourself in that place where you're going, I don't know if God's big enough for this moment. I don't know if God can do something about this. Just go outside, here's what he tells the people to do. Just go outside and just look up at the stars and just start counting them. And begin to realize that not one star is out of place, not one star is missing. God placed them all there by hand. And just take a deep breath. Am I willing to walk away from the God who made all that because of that guy, because of that girl, because they don't wanna hang out with me, because of money, because they got the promotion? Am I gonna walk away from the God who made all that because of that? It's going, Judah, Jared, come on, don't make that trade. You will live to regret making that trade. Don't drift away now. Don't walk away from what you know to be true. And he keeps going and he asks him another profound question. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? You ever felt that way before? You feel that way now? Why is my cause disregarded by God? At work, as a businessman, as a businesswoman, when I've been faithful, when I've done what I'm supposed to do, and I thought God was was gonna reward me for it, but it seems like the opposite has happened. Why has God disregarded my cause? as a high school student who's done everything I can within my power to honor God with my body and with my mind, and maybe I've made some mistakes in the past, but from this moment forward, I've decided I'm gonna live a certain way, and God, why does it feel like I'm alone in this? Is my cause disregarded by God as a single adult who's just waited and waited and waited, and I'm tired of being a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know, I'm tired of living in such a way that I feel alone. Is my cause disregarded by God? And then he gives a promise to the people. And this promise was true 2,700 years ago, and the promise still is true for you, and the promise is still true for me. And he says this to him, In that moment, when you find yourself in that place of saying, is my cause disregarded by God? He says, I want you to remember. Do you not know? Verse 28. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. This is the God who doesn't sleep and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And if you have a Bible, just highlight that. Just mark it, just memorize it. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not be faint. He says, this is a promise when you find yourself weary. And he says, hope in the Lord. I will renew your strength. And the the word picture that he gives here for hope, it's the same way that a a robber would wait in the woods for somebody coming and they would kind of lurch with a sense of expectation that something's gonna happen. At some moment, somebody's gonna come around the corner. He says, I want you to hope in the Lord in the same way, a leaning in with a sense of expectation. I don't know when and I don't know how, but the sky is gonna lift and God's gonna do something and I'm not gonna be weary forever. I want you to lean in and I want you to have this sense of hope. He says, that's a promise when you're weary, when you find yourself at that point where you're about to cut rope and you're about to drift away and you don't even care anymore. He says, I just want you to lean in the direction of me in that moment. I just want you to begin to shift your weight in my direction. When you get tired and you get weary, he says, this is the promise. I will increase your strength. And we find all kinds of frustration, if you're anything like me, with the things that God has not promised. Because most of the things that I pray for are things that God hasn't promised. Whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's uh, you know, finances, whether it's you know, more friends, whatever it is, most of the things that we pray for are not things that God has promised to give us. And we find disappointment with God in those moments. But there is incredible comfort in knowing the things that God has promised. And we can find comfort in the things that God's promised. Even if we find disappointment in the things that he hasn't, because here's what he's promised. When you find yourself on the verge of letting go, when you find yourself looking at your circumstances and going, God, there's no sign of your faithfulness. He says, if you, in that moment, here's the promise, if you will just lean into me, you'll be comforted. If you'll just begin to lean in my direction, you will be comforted. And to the degree that you lean into Jesus when you're weary and when you're tired of doing good, to the degree that you lean into Jesus is the degree that you become comforted in those moments. I'm not gonna promise you how it's gonna work out, Judah. I'm not gonna promise you, Jared, how it's gonna work out. But here's what I will promise you. If you will lean in my direction with a sense of expectation and a sense of hope, I will give you strength to stand in that moment before you walk away, if you'll just come to me, because you gotta go somewhere, right? <laughs> in those moments where you're weary and those moments where you're tired and you just wanna cut rope and you just wanna walk away, you don't win when you walk away from God. I've never met anybody who walked away from God and said, It just, it just worked out so great. I've met countless people who got tired and weary and walked, back, walked away and they walked back at some point and they had a story, they had regret, all kinds of things going, I just, I wish. I would have just held on to what I knew to be true. And he says, if you hold on, I will increase your strength in those moments. Are you weary? Are you tired? Find yourself kind of dragging yourself in here today going, I don't know if I can keep doing this. He says, I'll meet you in that place if you'll just lean in my direction. Here's another promise. Paul says it this way when he's writing to the church in Galatians. He says, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there will be a harvest. At a proper time, you will see the reward. You will see, maybe not even on this side of eternity, but there will come a moment where you will begin to realize that it was worth it. Do not become weary in doing good. Don't abandon what you know to be true because you're looking at your circumstances and you're going, I don't see God. It says, cling to what you know to be true. And here's the promise. If you lean into me in those moments, I am the God that will give you strength to stand. Let's pray together. God, I pray maybe for a businessman, a businesswoman here that they're just tired of doing good. They're tired of holding on. They're tired of honoring you at work. It seems like you blessed other people who've been way, way less honoring with their money, with their time, with their family. And God, they're just weary. I pray you give them strength today. God, I pray maybe for a married couple that's here. They're just barely hanging on. They're just in that place where it'd just be easier at this moment just to walk away. Will you give them strength? God, I pray they'd stand back on this side of eternity and they would say, God, if we just would have known then what we know now, it would have been easy to hold on. Give them strength. Give them the strength to stand in this moment, God. You gotta pray for high school students and college students maybe that have come home and it's just hard to go back to school and face a culture where sometimes, some days they feel like they're the only one that's decided to honor you with their body, with, their, with what they put into their body. God, I just, I just pray, would you just give them strength to stand right now? Would you give them strength? Would they lean in your direction? It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen.